Man, we're glad that you're here. We want to say hi to everybody online that's celebrating Resurrection Day with us. We're just so honored to be here. I love, I love Easter, and it's, um, and I'm glad. I'm glad that, that it's that we're all here. I'm glad that it is such a big deal. That you know, it should be. It should be. It's significant. It changed everything. It changed everything. I've said this before, but you know that crucifixion, as horrible as it was, it was, it was, you know, it was a used form of execution by the Romans. And they did it typically with what they thought were their worst criminals, their insurrectionists. They were trying to send a message that you don't mess with Rome. And so, so there were other people, and, some, and I'm sure more innocent people than just Jesus were executed. And had he not risen from the grave, it still would have been tragic. But outside of it just being a tragic memory, it would have had no impact on my world today. But because he was raised from the dead, everything that happened on the cross matters in my life, impacts my life, impacts our world and so I'm grateful for that. Aren't you? Aren't you, man? Let's just give a clap, man. We're just grateful for all of that. And I want to read to you the account of the resurrection. I'm taking this one from Matthew. All four Gospels have this. They have an account of the resurrection. There's different details in there, and I don't think it's because there were different things. I think somebody just emphasized one thing over another. But this account, I mean, these are, these are documented accounts of uh, three of them were eyewitnesses. Uh, or actually, Mark was actually, he was writing down what Peter told him. And then Luke, who was not necessarily an eyewitness, but he went around and, and interviewed eyewitnesses. He said in the start of Luke, he said, I'm sharing these things with, I'm, uh, with you, Theophilus, so that you can, have, you can have confidence in what you're believing. You can know that it's true. And so in Matthew 28, now keep in mind about this before we get into it is that, as I said before, you know, that there, there wasn't anything that was glamorous about crucifixion. It was, it was a violent death. It was brutal. It, it wreaked havoc on the human body. And if you watched it, it, was, it had to have impacted you. It, did, it didn't kill you in minutes. It would take sometimes hours and sometimes days. It was brutal in what happened. And a lot of times in our culture, when we begin to talk about it, people get very uncomfortable with it. Why did it have to be so bad and that kind of thing? Well, I think for one thing, it's a reflection of how horrible sin is. How horrible my sin is. That it just, you know, that it just, it, it just, it ravages me. And so you can imagine that after the crucifixion took place, the people, a lot of the disciples weren't even there. They had hidden somewhere. They were, they were not there with their friend while he was on the cross. They hid during that time. There were some women around the cross, and uh, I think John was there. One of the disciples was there, John, and, and I'm trying to remember who else, but. But when it was all over, that they, they couldn't go the next day because of Passover and the Sabbath and that type of thing. So on Sunday morning, the men were still hiding, but a few of the women, I think Mark's gospel says that it was, uh, I think, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome. They were going to go to the tomb, but they weren't going to go because Jesus said he had been raised from the dead. What they'd seen was so gruesome. How could anybody come back from that? So they weren't going with this expectation that, hey, maybe he's there. They were taking embalming spices burial spices to finish the process that they had in their culture of how you treat the dead. This was Mary's son. It was, it was their friend. It was, he was their rabbi, somebody that they'd been impacted by. And they were just trying to pay the respects that they felt like were due to him as they went that morning. And so they're on their way there to finish the embalming process for their son, the rabbi, their friend. And it says in verse 1, it says, early on Sunday morning on the, on the, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, 
There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Now, I love the response. It says this, that the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. Can you just feel that kind of that conflict of what they're dealing with? That there, there was fear of what they'd just seen, what they'd just experienced. And yet of what they'd just heard, man, it created this great joy as they begin to run to go back to the disciples and tell them what they'd been told to tell them. They rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So we have this, this is Matthew's account of this event, this historical event. Matthew, who was, who was a follower of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples that knew that he had been crucified, but also had an encounter with Jesus after the crucifixion, after he was raised from the dead, and he writes this account. And so we see this, and, and we have these things happen. It's one of the most documented events in the history of humanity. Even Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, who many critics, many skeptics, many unbelievers will even acknowledge that the letter was original, that was Paul's letter. That he said in 1 Corinthians 15, he began to name off the people that had been eyewitnesses. That, you know, that Peter had seen him, that the other apostles had seen him, that he had seen him. And then he said that there were 500 other eyewitnesses, and he said many of them are still alive. In other words, he was writing to people that were contemporaries in his time, to people that he was writing to at the church at Corinth, saying, look, the, you know, the, the evidence, the, the people that have seen him since the crucifixion, the evidence is overwhelming. Ask them. And he said, this is significant and it matters. He said, without this, we're of all people most miserable. But the resurrection matters in our world today. It makes the cross mean something. And the reason why that's so important, because there were things taking place on the cross. You know, one of the things that we don't understand in our culture is, is that back then they operated in covenant. And covenant was different than what we do today. We do legal agreements. In legal agreements, I get my lawyer, you get your lawyer, we write out a contract, we come to terms, and we sign it. And then if I don't like you, I ask my lawyer how I can get out of it. <laughs> Something like that. But in covenant, what, what I have is yours and what you have is my own. One of the, one of the covenants that that still exists in God's eyes is marriage. It's, it's two, two different families, somebody from two different families that, that they come together and they form one, one new family. Two becomes one. There's a joining together. And so whenever a covenant is, ends, that it's not just you know, backing out of a legal agreement. It's almost kind of like this tearing that takes place, this severing of a relationship. And when the relationship is severed, we know, and again, we'll use marriage as an example, that sometimes we have a history of people that sometimes they've reconciled in that relationship. Doesn't happen often, but every now and then there'll be a reconciliation where people come back together and they renew that covenant. And it can happen not just in marriage, but in friendships, businesses, those type of things. When we genuinely understand what covenant is, then take place. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is that when God created Adam, that he, he created this covenant relationship, God did. 
And he set the terms and the standards by which that covenant would operate in. Now, in a covenant, I bring what I have and you bring what you have. But because Adam didn't have anything, he was created by God. That God even made the thing that Adam had. And this is what he says to him in Genesis 2. He says this, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him. He said, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. In other words, God said, Adam, all this is yours, and I place this here too. But because they were in covenant together, that there had to be something that Adam had to give up rights to, that he had to turn loose of, that it could not be his. That if we're going to continue being in covenant, you have to leave this alone. It's what you bring to it. And so this covenant was formed. And so Adam and Eve were there in the garden. And in Genesis chapter 3, it says this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you may not eat of the fruit from the, any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat of it. She said, God said, God said, you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Now, a lot of people stop reading right here, and they really give Eve a lot of grief. I wonder where Adam was. Well, he's getting ready to tell us. It says this, then she gave some to her husband who was with her. So he wasn't fishing. He wasn't out hunting with the boys. He was sitting right there. And she gives it to him, and it says, after he ate it, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame. Everybody say shame. shame. They felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. So in this moment, whenever Adam and Eve took from that tree and ate it, that they stepped outside of the conditions of the covenant, and they broke that covenant that they had with God. Now, theologians would, would debate me on the use of this term, but for context, I'm going to use it. That really what happened was, was that humanity, man, divorced themselves from God. And at that moment, everything that we've experienced has created pain or loss or disappointment in our life. At that moment, when man pulled himself and severed the covenant that God had set up, at that moment, sin entered in the world, and every heartache that humanity has ever experienced, every loss, it, all of it came in as a result of that. It took place. It says this about them, that when they looked at each other for the first time, they felt shame. They'd never experienced that before. And they began to feel insecure. And so what do we do when we're insecure? We begin to cover ourselves up cover up our insecurities and how we behave and what we do and all of those things. And so they took fig leaves right to cover themselves up. Every time before this, any time that God would show up, there was never a thought of, I don't belong here. We're in covenant together, that I'm, I'm his child. And so they would lean in. But this time when God showed up, they hid themselves. They were afraid. All of these things they experienced, because what took place was more than just eating from a tree that they weren't supposed to. It was a betrayal. It was a betrayal. They chose not to trust God and instead to trust his enemy instead. That they yielded their hearts to the enemy. As a result, it severed that relationship. 
If you're taking notes, number one is this. Is that man divorced himself from God at this time. This is the day humanity said, I want to do this on my own, my way. As humanity experienced the pain that this decision had made throughout time, person after person kept looking for ways for reconciliation. But again, they tried to do it on their own terms. I'm just going to be good. I'll just be good. But they kept falling short, and they would even write out laws that would determine how they're going to live, but they could never measure up to their own standards. Others created religion. And again, you know, keep this in mind. Christianity, Jesus didn't come because, human, because people needed another religion. Jesus came so we could have a relationship with him and the Father. But humanity created religion, these, these rules and these set of practices and methods of which they were going to live by, hoping that they could reconcile themselves back to God. Again, in our pride, trying to create the terms in which reconciliation would take place. Some people then would try to tell themselves, well, hey, what we did wasn't that bad. We're really, I'm okay, you're okay, instead of understanding the brokenness of our lives. And we look for things to settle and fill that empty, voided space that was left whenever that severance, that divorce from God happened. But God, who loves us, even though we kept falling short in trying to reconcile to him, that he had a plan for reconciliation so that we could be reconciled back to him in relationship. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says this, He, Jesus, died for everyone, so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. He said that Jesus died for everyone, but not everyone will take advantage of it or enter into it. It says only those that receive it. So he said, so that those who receive this new life no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. That's what we're celebrating today. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone, everybody say anyone. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God. It's not me and my own effort. It's not me just doing better. This is a gift from God, an undeserved thing. It's a gift from God. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Now listen. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So when we know that on the cross that day, that had we been there, we would have seen the brutality of the cross, the torture of what took place. And maybe we would have been in the circle of people that knew Jesus, that, you know, some of them had just been with him for a few years, but there's a lot of his followers that had known him for a period of time and recognized who he was as he entered into his ministry. His own mother was there, and we would have recognized that, and all of these horrific things that were taking place, and yet there was something else that was taking place that we probably couldn't have seen with our own eyes, and that is there was something that was being done on the cross, and that is the one who knew no sin was made to be sin so that me who knew no righteousness could be made right with God because of what Jesus has done. And as that was taking place, that the reason why the resurrection was so important, because my sin was laid upon him, and he, God was in him. It, it was God on the flesh it, that he was, he was reconciling us back to God. 
that all along that the Father, even in my disobedience, even in my betrayal in my relationship, even when I divorce myself from his presence, saying, I don't need you anymore. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going this way. And I listened and betrayed the one, betrayed the one who loved me. And sometimes I think we don't realize this, that God, you know, even though he's God, that because of his love for us, his heart still hurts. In the New Living Translation in Genesis 6, when it talks about Noah, it says that God's heart was broken because of what was taking place with humanity. Even in his brokenheartedness, he had a plan of reconciliation. And it was, it was on the cross that Jesus was reconciled. He was reconciling humanity for anyone that would receive him. He was reconciling humanity back to God. He was in Christ. It says that he was no longer counting our sins against us. I'm so glad, man. I used to, when I was younger, I used to think about what would that look like when he's counting sins? Like if he was using chalk, I'm like, how many boxes of chalk did he have to use on me? There's one, two, three, four. Okay, this is Rick Burke. I need lots of chalk over here. I mean, I, you know, what does that look like? But it says that he was in Christ, no longer counting our sins against us. No longer counting our sins against us. He was reconciling the world to himself. And so number two is, is Jesus made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. That in the severance that took place, that we can try all of these other ways to be reconciled, but we were the betrayers, not him. We were the leavers, not him. We were the ones that decided not to trust him anymore, that not to let his love lead us and guide us. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't him, it was us. And so he lays out the terms of reconciliation. And even in that, he provided the sacrifice of which we could be reconciled to him. And that's Jesus. And that happened with him. And so Jesus made it possible for you and me to become reconciled to him. Now, the beauty of it is, is that it doesn't end there. And point number three, if you'll see there, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So the minute that I entered into that reconciliation and my relationship with God was restored and I no longer had to feel shame when I was in his presence that even in my imperfection in my brokenness because of what Jesus has done and I'd been restored reconciled in my relationship back to my father that even then on my worst day because my confidence is in Jesus I'm still welcome into his presence I know I feel shame he deals with my insecurities and he helps me and I can put my confidence in my life and my faith in him and who he is but it says after that that he gives me a ministry of reconciliation. It, it goes on to say we're Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And this morning he's making his appeal through me. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It says after we receive that reconciliation that the thing that happens is we become ambassadors. And when you understand an ambassador, it means that somebody, that they're not in the country they belong in. They're representing the kingdom, that the, another kingdom in a kingdom that's not theirs. So when we become Christians and we become ambassadors, that wherever we go, we're called to represent our Father. To represent the one that reconciled us. To represent Jesus. 
and then to beckon people to be reconciled with God. Paul said that Christ was in him pleading on their behalf, be reconciled. He's in me this morning, plead on be reconciled. Now, I know we all have different stories, and you know, if you're in here, you hear my story, and it's the only one I got. I wish I had, you know, like a bunch of different ones, but unless I'm going to make them up, it's pretty, you know, pretty vanilla. It's pretty what I got. And I was raised in church, and I, you know, and, and we went to church regularly, but I still remember in junior high, for the first time sensing conviction for my need for Jesus. And I just remember thinking that, and so I was kind of conflicted, because I'm like, man, I've been going to church all my life, why do I have this conviction? Why is that there? And so eventually one day I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to surrender. I'm just going to ask Jesus into my heart, I'm going to declare him as Lord of my life. And, and I did that, and to be real transparent with you, you know, I, I didn't understand everything, didn't know who, what questions to ask and who to ask. So several times, maybe a hundred times in services, I would be there and kind of feel that same thing. I'm like, I'm just going to settle it. I'm going to do this. But I'm giving my life to Jesus. Maybe your story is the same, and that is that you've been coming to church, and maybe you're just like me. You've already made that decision. Or maybe you've been coming to church, and, and you've never really made that commitment. You've never said, Jesus, I'm yours. Maybe some of you, church is not a part of your story at all. Maybe you just come to Easter because it's what you did as a family. It's tradition. Maybe it's because some of your family members shamed you into coming, and you're like, if I come, will you never ask me to do this again? I know how it works. Some of you were probably promised a meal. I get it. I can be bought with food, too. So we're having a meal afterwards. I'll come. Maybe you lost a bet. You can either wear this OU jersey or you can go to church. I'm going to church. But regardless, you're here. I'm glad you're here. There's no shame in being here. You're welcome here, man. We all come in the same place, and that is we all need Jesus. And the plea that he has for us is be reconciled. Be reconciled. Quit trying in your own strength. Quit letting pain be the thing that directs you. Disappointment. Finally settling and giving up and trying to be a disbeliever. But you're such a believer that you can't even disbelieve emotionless. The thing that reveals that you're actually a believer is the anger that you reveal in not being able to believe. Well, I want us to do this. I want us to just stand up and worship God for just a minute. And just thank him because it's Easter. Thank him because of what Jesus did on the cross and that, we've been that he's been raised from the dead. Celebrate what's taken place in our life and just get ready to just worship him and thank him for all that we do. Let's, let's just give him thanks.